May I invite you to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 10. I'll read those in just a minute. Let me, um, let me mention one other very important thing. Um, you know, one of the things that seems to cause so many troubles in churches is uh, church government. Um, we've been uh, in existence almost 26 years now, and we've never really had that problem. We've had others, but, but never a governmental problem. And, um, and our government really works around here. It's a government of plurality of eldership. This is not a, dic- a, a dictatorship nor a benevolent dictatorship. It's a, it's a government of the plurality of elders. And so we spent the month of October uh, nominating men for the office of elder. We can finally give you a list, and if you'll, uh, here is, the, those are the <laughs> 16 men nominated for the office of elder. They're arranged alphabetically. I'm going to read them to you, uh, but you can look. Ross Braithwaite, Greg Bundy, Ed Cattu, Blake Dickens, Trent Fleming, Ben Granger, Dave Ho, Roger Marion, Tim Morgan, Chris Myatt, Jeff Nevels, Andy Pierce, Rick San Roman, Rick Smith, David Strand, and Randy Turner. 16 men, uh, from which you will select five on November the 30th. Um, Guys, uh, the way we operate here is that the congregation makes three decisions. One has to do with the call of the senior pastor, and I want you to know that you made an excellent choice (laughs) in that decision. Um, then the buying and selling of real properties. We don't buy or sell anything or build anything without your permission. We had not done that in a while, and I, I will die before I go through that again. <clears throat> and the last thing, of course, is the nomination and election of elders. You choose your leaders. I don't. Um, now, you've got three weeks or so to get to know those 16 men. They're, they're all on the website. They're, uh, I think they're pictures. I'm not sure of that. Maybe not their pictures, uh, but, but anyway. You've got about three weeks. If you've got questions of them, uh, you know, get in touch. But on the 30th, we will gather for a congregational meeting at which time you will select from that list of 16, you will select five to occupy the office of elder. All right. Um, there's, and, and those names will be before you from now until the 30th. Now, if you will, follow me as I read um, 10 verses out of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. They read, and by the way, um, if uh, knowing and understanding the word of God is important to you, and I I hope it is, and and I think for so many of you it is, then I hope you'll stay tuned this morning because this is is really fun stuff. Um, Maybe you won't see it at first, and, and maybe... Hopefully you will before we're done. But this is great stuff. You, you follow as I read it. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who drew near, draw near. Otherwise... Would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. 
For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he, ha- he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this, this word, this endures forever. Now guys, if, if any of that sounded repetitious, that's because it is. <laughs> For the better part of three chapters, the author of this book of Hebrews, who is writing to a group of converted Jews, probably in Rome, um, a group who is considering going back to Judaism because of the persecution that had arisen in Rome. So he's writing to this, this group who are waffling, and he is arguing the superiority of Christ and Christianity over Judaism. Um, that the gospel, this is his argument, invalidates Judaism. That, that Christianity, in essence, has replaced Judaism. So it would be utter insanity to go back to that. That's been his argument for the better part of three chapters. And um, this chapter, chapter 10, is pretty much the close of that argument. It's a long chapter, but it's pretty much the close. We'll we'll get to chapter 11, and then things are going to change. But um, what I've sought to do is to find because there's so much repetition, uh, the unique feature of each one of the sections that we've, that we've looked at in hope that we could add them all together to get his whole argument. So I've, I've, I've tried to fix your attention on a unique feature of that section of his argument <clears throat> so that it wouldn't be overly repetitious. So that's what I'm going to do again this morning. I want to call your attention really to verses 5 through 10. Now, but before I do that, let me, let me just um, show you um, verses 1 through 4 and what, what they're all about. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not that complicated, I, I really don't think. Um, <clears throat> in those four verses, the, the author is saying, again, that the old covenant... 
The sacrificial system, remember all that Aaronic priesthood and all those sacrifices and everything? That the old covenant um, is now defunct for several reasons, and he mentions three. The first reason, of course, that he's mentioned before is the repetition. Year after year after year, we sacrifice these these goats and these bulls and the Day of Atonement, it reminds us that we're sinners. Yes, yes, yes. But it doesn't change anything. It's just the annual reminder that you've come short of the glory of God. So um, one of the reasons that, that that system is defunct is because of the repetition, the annual repetition really didn't change anything. The other thing that he mentions or another thing that he mentions is the blood of animals. <clears throat> that is, goat blood and cow blood will never, <clears throat> will never cleanse anybody of sin and is not what God is after. The other thing, the, the third thing he mentions in those four verses, is the idea of a shadow. And, and he, had, he has mentioned that before. He did so in chapter 8. <clears throat> that the old covenant was a shadow. It's pointing to a substance that is to come, but now the substance has come. So um, that preliminary sketch, Old Covenant, the, um, the mock-up, if you will, was no longer needed. Uh, um, shadows don't replace shadows, but substance does. And the substance has arrived. The old covenant was preparatory. It taught that the wages of sin is death. And it pointed to the sacrifice that would ultimately come one day and be the payment for sin. And now that payment has arrived. The substance is here. So... Now that the substance has arrived, the old covenant is, um, is defunct. Now, that's what he's saying in those first four verses. <clears throat> that brings us to verses 5 through 10. You'll notice, I hope, that um, verses 5 through 10 opens with a quote from the Old Testament. Actually, it's a quote from the book of Psalms, Psalm 40, which was written by David. Now notice, guys, what the author does. He takes a statement that originally came out of the mouth of David, David, and he puts that statement into the mouth of Verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said, No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought David said this. Well, David did say this. <laughs> but one of the things that you learn, ladies and gentlemen, is how you and I ought to read the book of Psalms. This author takes a statement. Out of the mouth of David, 
And he puts it into, look, look at the text. But a body have you prepared for me. And uh, look, verse 7. Then I said, who is that? Behold, I have come to do your will. Who, who said that? This author is saying, he's using those words found in Psalm 40. And he is sticking them into the mouth of Christ. Hey guys, this is where it really gets fun. Verses 8, 9, and 10 are nothing but a commentary on the Old Testament quote. Now, notice in the Old Testament quote, Jesus states the negative twice, and then it's repeated in verse 8. Here's the negative. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Says it again. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then he says it again, or, or the, the commentary says it in verse 8. Uh, you uh, have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices. <clears throat> so that's the negative. That's what you don't want, God. But you have given me a body. And in that body, I have come to perform your will. See it? Guys, verses 5 and through 10 is a comparison. You had the shadow in verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 through 10 is the substance. The substance has arrived. uh, These words that are stuck into the mouth of Jesus. Um, He says, you've given me a body. By the way, who gave him a body? His father did. And in that body, I have come to do your will. Look at it. It's mentioned three times. Uh, Verse 7, to do your will. Uh, Verse 9, to do your will. Verse 10, by that will. Now, what was that will? What will... Did Christ in the body come to perform? (laughs) I love this. All right, guys. To answer that question, I want you to, I want to tell you a story. Um, It's a biblical story. It's out of 1 Samuel 15, and I'd love for you to turn over there. 1 Samuel 15. And, And remember, all I'm trying to do is answer... What will did Jesus in bodily form come to perform? All right, that's what we're trying to answer. What is the will of God? All right, here's the story. The story in in 1 Samuel 15 
is about the first king of Israel, which, of course, was Saul. Saul started out so good. I mean, he was humble. He didn't want to be king. He hid in the luggage. You know, don't make me king. I don't want to be king. But ultimately, he becomes king. In chapter 15, God issues a commandment through Samuel. You know who Samuel is? He's the very respected uh, priest and prophet of Israel. So Samuel comes to Saul and says, um, here's what God wants you to do. It's in verse 3. 1 Samuel 15 verse 3, here's the command. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. There's the command. Amalek had mistreated Israel when she came out of Egypt. And God's judgment is about to fall on Amalek. Saul gathers his army. He goes to Amalek to fight with Amalek. Now look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Guys, do you know what you call that? That's called disobedience. Look at the command in verse 3. Here's the command. Go destroy everything. Saul takes his army. He destroys a lot, but not everything. Then verse 10, God comes back to Samuel and says, Samuel, I regret that I made him king. Go tell him he's out. So Samuel goes to pay a visit on Saul. And when Saul sees Samuel coming across the hills, he says in verse um, 13, Blessed be to you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now look. Look at verse 14. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? Guys, do you get that? Here's, here's what Samuel's saying. Hey, Saul. If you had obeyed God, I wouldn't be hearing any sheep bleats. Very clear what God wanted you to do. You didn't do it. And if you had done it, why then do I hear these sheep? And at that point, Samuel knew, Samuel knew that he had... He was in trouble. And notice what what Samuel does in in pure 21st century uh, fashion. He says in verse 15, they have brought from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep of of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Samuel says, I didn't do it. It's those people. And you know why we've held on to these sheep and oxen, don't you? We want to have a worship service. 
We want to have a big old worship service and, and offer those, those sheep that we took. <clears throat> Samuel says, verse 18, Saul, the Lord sent you on a mission. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Now, gang, stay with me. You go down to verse 22, and verse 22 is the connection to Hebrews 10. Look at verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? What did Hebrews 10 say? Uh, God doesn't take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices. Um, does the Lord want your worship service? No. Okay, then. What does he want? Look at it. Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Back to Hebrews 10. In the, out of the mouth of Jesus comes these words. Ah, you don't want, you don't want um, burnt offerings and sacrifices. <laughs> says that three times. And then he says, you've given me a body so that I could come to your will. What was that will? Obedience. Perfect obedience is what the Father has always wanted. And he has never gotten. And so he says, I'm going to give to my son a body. And he's going to come. And he is going to perform my will. What the father wants. It's not your sacrifices, your bloody sacrifices, and your goat blood. What the Father wants is an obedience. That I can never give him. And so he gives to his son a body. You know what that's called, don't you? That's called the incarnation. He gives to his son a body because our sin was so great that only a God-provided sacrifice was acceptable. A sacrifice based on and rooted in Obedience. Guys, Christ's 
whole mission was God's gift to sinful people like us. Can I read you this real quick? This, this, is, um, this is in Philippians. Don't turn there, but this is a familiar text. Philippians 2, listen. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Who's that describing? Jesus, of course. To whom is he obedient? The father that gave him a body and sent him. He was obedient to the point of death. And then look at verse 9 in our text. He says, um, then he added, behold, I have come to, to do your will. Whose will? Well, his father's, which was what? Perfect obedience. And by his successful completion of that mission, look at what it says. Behold, I have come to do your will. And because he successfully performed that mission, he has abolished the first in order to establish the second. He abolished the old covenant so that he could establish the second. Now what was that first covenant? All that ceremonial law and goat blood and Levitical system and all that. And it says, because he performed that will, that has been abolished and it's been replaced by the second. What was that? Him. Christ. My, my failed attempts to obey are replaced by Christ's perfect obedience which I get credit for because I'm related to Christ his body that is Christ's body or or at least all of him that's all that means is all of him his life was a life that met all the demands of the law which is what God wanted and his death was the payment for all of my violations of that law. And the author turns to his audience and he says to them, why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to that? When the first has been abolished and replaced by the second. You know, guys, as a young father, 
Um, my, my family still makes fun of me for doing this, but as a young father, there were several things that I, I really treasured, and, and I didn't have a safe deposit box, couldn't afford one of those things. So I hid these things that were very, very valuable to me. I hid them in a little plastic container like this one. It was a, actually, it was an empty ricotta cheese container. And I, I stuck these things that really va- are valuable to me in my little plastic container, and I put them under the sink and, you know, the towels. Because if we were away and the, 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 um, the thieves broke in, who in the world would look in the ricotta cheese uh, container, you know? So, so in the ricotta cheese container, there were three things. There was this gold watch that my father gave me. My father was a railroad man. He gave me a gold watch. Still have it and value it greatly. Um, there was this ring. <laughs> Y'all laugh at this, but this is my UT Letterman's ring. You know, back in my playing days. And I didn't want anybody to take that because I could never prove it that I really lettered. <laughs> so I, I, I put that in the ricotta cheese. And then I put this. You know what this is? This is my children's baby teeth. And when my children would spit out a tooth, you know, the tooth fairy thing, and I'd get that tooth put it in here because it reminded me of something so dear and so precious to me but ladies and gentlemen we all know we all know that we get a new set of these to replace that first step because you know you get the you get the better ones you know the ones with thicker enamel and deeper roots you know because these these were just just there for a while until the real thing showed up So why would you ever want to hold on to these? When you can have these. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the argument of the author of the book of Hebrews. Why would you go back to that? When you have this. Why would you go back to the first when the first has been abolished and replaced by the second? And yet, ladies and gentlemen, some of us are determined to hold on to the first. No, I don't. I don't. I don't understand, Jimmy. What do you mean, the first? Well, in the in the language of the text, Hebrews ten, the first refers to what? 
Remember first that old Levitical system, that Aaronic priesthood and all that goat blood and all that stuff that you did over and over and over again. It refers to law. We're determined to hold on to the first. And let me tell you how we do it. We, um, we keep lying to ourselves about what good people we are. I've performed well. Ladies and gentlemen, you understand, don't you, that your obediences are partial at best, just like salts. Augustine said, Augustine said, our best, our best works are splendid sins. The great commandment, you know what the great commandment is? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Ladies and gentlemen, we haven't done that for 30 seconds in our entire lives. And you know, if that's true, you know what that makes us, don't you? If the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and we haven't done that, that makes us the great violators. And so you still think, do you, that your good works are going to save you? With all due respect, ladies and gentlemen, what good works? There is only one who has offered to God what God was really after. Perfect obedience. And his name is Jesus Christ. And by faith in his finished work, I get credit for his perfect obedience. And I come into an organic, eternal union with Jesus Christ. So ladies and gentlemen, with a few verses, 10, the author of Hebrews 10 is sweeping away all of those Old Testament types. Bethlehem brings an end to all those Old Testament types. The symbols are no longer needed because the truth to which they pointed has arrived and has given to his father what the father asked for 
And by his successful completion of that mission, he has abolished the first and replaced it with the second. Why in heaven's name would any of you want to hold on to this? Our Father, I I do pray that you will use this text to illuminate all over again the great accomplishment of Jesus Christ on behalf of his people that the Son has, has arrived. He has taken on a body and has performed the work that you expected us to perform, but we didn't. And so we say over and over and over in this room, he lived the life that I was supposed to live, and then he died the death that I was supposed to die. Who would want the first? when they can have Christ and him crucified. Father, if you brought people here this morning who continue to hold on to that which is legal and self-righteous and meritorious in their eyes, (coughs) would you cause them to see that it's like an adult with a full head of teeth wanting his baby teeth back. How insane is that? And how insane it is to stay outside of the household of faith who at the center is Christ and him crucified. Thank you, O God, for opening our eyes to see it might that gospel in all of its beauty thrill us all over again. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.